You can tell I when I came in, in there and seen your face, you DeAndre saw you, you thought you saw a ghost, boy. You knew I was looking me. for you, and I told you I was gonna find you. I want to give him a chance to, you know, congratulate him. You. He defended his title, and now he's in my face, pointing his finger, talking about you. this, talking about that. At the same time, I didn't have an Urban Dictionary with me, so I couldn't understand a damn thing he was saying. Don't nobody want to hear your your your. your then he want to push man. and shove and say he walked over by himself. His brother's over here talking Ain't nobody nonsense. finna show you no mercy. Entourage of individuals. Ain't nobody finna show you no pity. Ain't nobody finna show you no sympathy for your lame ass story. But never do you walk up to You didn't even know where your kids was, boy. We should have called the GHR on your ass. Wife Because y'all didn't know where y'all kids was. She was wild and y'all, you was wild. So be honest about it and tell the truth because May 18th, the truth will come out. And guess what? punk ass brother wants to punch me in the back guess what? I'm going to be the judge in the ring. And welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where we're just glad Mick Conlon's okay. Um, I don't think there's anything more important in the world of boxing right now that, than knowing that Mick Conlon's okay. So until there's like official confirmation, until we hear anything from Mick, it's hard to say too much, but all the signs look positive at the moment and Look, that, that's all we can hope for because when we saw what we saw, you know, that wasn't guaranteed. So let's give thanks and, you know, thank God that he's stable and he's able to speak as of the last update I received. What do you say after a night like that? What do you say after a fight like that? It's, it's often said that you can't, you can't preempt that kind of chemistry. You can't manufacture it. You know, you don't. You know, just bottle that and keep it for whenever you need it. So when it happens, you have to give the promoter credit for that. So hats off to Eddie for delivering on the main event. You know, we didn't expect to have that kind of drama. I think most people thought it would swing one way or the other, but it would be decisive. And that fight tonight was anything but. In the previous episode, I think I described it as master versus apprentice in terms of Adam Booth versus Ben Davidson. And you saw a lot of that in the fight, actually. You saw someone in Adam Booth who had a clear view on how he expected Mick Conlon to win. And you had someone in Ben Davison who may have had a theory, but I don't think he had confidence in anything that he was saying. And that seemed to transmit itself into Lee Wood because, and I've, I've known this from the, the, from the times I've done the corner. And I, it's a lesson you learn as you go along. It's the energy you project is the energy your fighter receives. Nothing else, not the crowd, not this, not that whatever's in that corner. If there's panic in the corner, there'll be panic in the ring. And so what you learn is in the corner, you focus on the objective. What do I need him to do in this next round? And that's all you talk about. No complex ideas, two or three trigger words, and you're done. Make sure he's okay, calm him down, get the heart rate down, get the breath down, get him focused, and out again. Ben Davidson was talking a fucking essay in there. You know, Take two steps to the left, then step back, then step to the side, then moonwalk, then do a handstand and a backflip, and then you might just see an opening for a jab. And this is the problem you have when you're Ben Davison, I guess. Guys like Ben are taking on guys like Josh Taylor, who are more experienced than they are. Josh is far more experienced at being in the ring being around elite level athletes, being around elite level trainers. He's got far more experience than Ben Davison has. The same with Lee Wood. Lee Wood is from that Ingle camp. 
Yeah, he's been around the Eagles. He's been around Caldwell. He's been around a lot of decent trainers. He's not a kid. You know, Lee McGregor was around the McGregors for all, uh, no, the McGuigans, sorry, for a bit. So what I'm saying is, Lee knows when someone doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. And so he had to manage his trainer in that corner on a few occasions. That always worries me. You know, and it's, if you're now looking for a trainer to go with, I don't think you go with Ben. Because if Ben is the biggest brain in that team, considering how long Barry Smith has been in the sport, then that's a big worry. Because I don't believe there's a depth of experience that's going to get you through a world title fight. What Lee Wood did against Mick Conlon was literally go, I'm going back to what I know. Forget all of the stuff that he's talking. I'm going back to what I know, which is, yeah, just slugging and thugging. Nice and simple. That's all I'm going to do now and just make sure that I give it my all. And if I lose, then this guy would have earned it. And sometimes boxing is just that simple. Be more physical. Because that was the real difference here. The real difference was physicality. So if you followed me on podcast for long enough, you'll know that I talk passionately about the ability to be durable as being the most important thing a professional boxer can have is that durability. And that means you've got a chin. That means, you know, you can take body shots. That means that you don't get injured very often, which means you don't miss, you don't miss training sessions. You know, that, that's all, for me, that's boxing 101 because everything else I can teach, that physicality you're born with. You know, previous episode I talked about Joe Joyce. The physicality Joe Joyce has, he was born with. Anything he does in a gym augments that. But it doesn't create it. And that's why he gets injured more than other people. Like you see other boxers that get injured a lot. They pull out of fights a lot because they get injured. Bones are too small. The tendons are too small. You know, like the clearest example in my head at the moment of that is Kurt Garvey. Kurt Garvey is talented as they come. Like Jake Ball, talented as they come. Couldn't go a year without an injury. And when you can't go a year without an injury, you allow less talented people to catch up to you. Lee Wood looks like a guy who, at that weight, comfortable. Stronger than everyone else at that weight. More physical than anyone else at that weight. You know, is his chin solid? Maybe. You know, that was a hell of a punch Colin caught him with. But that physicality was the difference between the two. Because it meant that Lee Wood could take more out of Michael Conlon than Michael Conlon could take out of Lee Wood. And in a 12-round fight, that is everything. Because you saw, skill-wise, the gap was night, it's night and day. The things Michael Conlon can do in the ring, Lee Wood can't do. Mick Conlon doesn't get the reward his work deserves. Now, I know, I'll give you an example, Eddie Scott is a massive Mick Conlon fan. And I remember there was a time when Mick Conlon was slated to fight Isaac Dogbo. And she said, what do you think of that fight? And I said, Isaac's too physical for, for Mick Conlon. And I said, Mick will do all that fancy stuff for the first five rounds. And when that hasn't put Isaac away, and when it hasn't put a dent in Isaac, it'll be Isaac's turn. And once Isaac starts hitting and hurting you, he's relentless. And I've always thought that about Conlon. I've always thought it all looks good until you put him in with someone who's physical. Someone who's strong and durable. And I always felt that stuff would fall apart because historically it falls apart. There's a there's a toughness and a durability you need to be elite at the pro level. And it's not a coincidence they've waited five years 
for what they thought was a favourable world title picture. At any point, look, Conlon is, I don't know if he's still linked to top rank, but at any point he could have fought someone like a Navarrete, he could have fought an Oscar Valdez, he could have fought Isaac Dogba. At any point. And it's not like he had a short amateur career. So he should be on that kind of Lomachenko track. So why isn't he? The lack of physicality. He's, he's not a guy that's going to do a lot of damage to someone. Which is a shame because if he had real power, if he could punch like a, like a Navarrete, whew, he might still be undefeated now with multiple belts. But unfortunately, you know, that genetic lottery doesn't favor everybody. And so that's what you saw in the fight. You saw just that raw physicality of Lee Wood that helped him overcome. And there, there were other things as well. And I, I, I stand by this. And it's going to sound counterintuitive, but please bear with me. I don't believe you can be underpowered and win a fight counterpunching. I just don't. Because I think the psychology of the fight and how everyone listening to this would feel about the fight would be different had that knockdown not happened in the first round. Because like, I don't think Conlon came close to doing that again in the fight. And that's what he needed to do. He needed to impose that part of his game on Lee Wood. And he couldn't do that. Partly because Lee Wood wouldn't let him. Lee Wood just said, I'm going to have to walk through hell to keep hold of this belt. This regular belt, by the way. Let's, let's call it what it is. There's a, there's a super champion called Leo Santa Cruz who has achieved far more than these two guys combined. And, you know, we need to put some respect on Leo Santa Cruz's name, despite the fact that he's fought at every other weight class apart from featherweight. But let's put some respect on his name because he's a true WBA champion. So I know people want to talk about the, the nuances and the tactics and, you know, what worked and what didn't work in this fight. For me, I didn't think Conlon had enough variety with that that left hand of his because he, he did the sweeping one, which which DeGale used to love dropping people with, if you remember. When DeGale was really flying, that sweeping left hand he'd throw, boom, he'd put people down with. And Conan was doing that. But sometimes you've got to throw it dead straight. And doing that allows you to control the middle. And had he done that more often, Lee Wood doesn't come forward the way he did. They're the adjustments you've got to make in a fight. So you've got to be able to say, look, Mick, you've got three rounds to get through. Yeah, we're going to go back to basic boxing, all the punches dead straight and down the middle. One, two, hold if you have to. Although I don't, I don't even like saying hold because you're not supposed to hold in boxing. But if that's what desperation brings, it's what it brings. And so sometimes you've got to go back to those basics when you're trying to see something out. And I don't think he did. I genuinely think in Mick Condon's head, he thought he could just keep making him miss. But that power bar was dropping quickly. We saw that in round 11 when he got dropped. And then in round 12, whew, that was that do or die round. And, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate turn of phrase in this circumstance. But I can't think of a better one to use. That round 12 was... That was the difference between coming up the hard way and coming up the easy way. Because Lee Wood knew that he had to end the fight in that round. However he did it, he had to do it. He, if nothing else, get a knockdown. And he was able to find that within himself. And what Michael Conlon needed at that point there was a strategy to say, look, I can get through this round... 
and it might have even been, you know, fight fire with fire, but, you know, how much was actually in that tank? I don't think we will know until, you know, Michael explains what he can of, of the events that led up to that, but just as an outsider looking in, it looked like it took so much out of him just keeping Lee Wood off and staying sharp and alert at all times that come round 12, there was nothing left. But I still look at that knockout and I go, that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, I've, seen, I've seen enough of those in, in a boxing context, in a non-boxing context, to know that's not how, that's not how it's supposed to go. Now... I think we're going to have to see other angles to know whether Lee Wood really sunk a shot in that we didn't see or whether Mick fell into a punch that we didn't see. But the way that the lights went off on Mick Conlon, it was like that was a secondary concussion. If, if, and if you guys don't know what, what I mean, what I mean is when you take a bang to the head, and I'm, this is years of rugby that have taught me this, you take a bang to the head and you're a bit dizzy, but you play on. Nowadays, you wouldn't be allowed to play on, but back then you played on. And then you might take a second shot to the head. And that's it. You just remember blacking out. You get up and you're like, how long was I out for? And they go, oh, about 30 seconds. You get up, you go to walk and you're sick. And the second concussion is a direct consequence of the first one. And that can happen whether it's two days apart, two hours apart, it's wherever that gap is. That ending looked like Mick Conlon had been put down before. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. It looked like he'd been put down at some point in the camp and that just caught up to him. Because if not, that's the kind of knockdown where I'm like, I don't know if you should box again. I don't know if you should box again because, you know, that's the 12th round. What would have happened if he connected early? And all those sorts of thoughts go through your head. And I don't know what the right answer is here because I'm not close enough to make Conlon to say that. What I can say is that knockout looked like something had happened before. So we'll see what time tells us about that. But the, the comeback said, well, I'm just glad he's okay. That's it. I'm glad he's okay because that was, whew, that was brutal. And so let's, let's also look at what this means for the trainers. I think for Ben Davison, this is another chaotic corner. This is another corner where he's been found wanting and the fighters had to just go black ops, call an audible and do what he thinks is right. You know, the way they were celebrating that Lee Wood win, it looked like they were happier with the performance than Lee Wood was. He almost looked like, what are these clowns doing? Because they were, they were just all over him, happy. And you saw Barry Smith grinning, you know, the, the picture of physical health he is and all of this sort of stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, whoa, Lee Wood just got himself out of jail for free. And you're celebrating? What is it you said that turned the fight? Nothing. The only person that actually was any class in Lee Wood's corner was Lee Wood. And congratulations to him and kudos to him for, for having the presence of mind to realize that that moment wasn't about him. It wasn't about Ben Davison. You know, he had that presence of mind that his corner didn't have. And I think that was the story of their fight. And I look across to Adam Booth and I go, I don't know, man. Yes, he's a myth, he's a hoax, he's these things. But it seems that like he teaches people half a thing, right? Because remember with Josh Taylor, 
he taught him the head movement without the corresponding movement in feet and the ability to change angles, right? So he only taught him half the thing. And it's the same with Shannon Courtney. He only taught Shannon Courtney half of how to box. And then Jamie Mitchell came over and taught her the second half. Um, Ellie Scottney left, which should tell you all you need to know because there's someone who really knows and understands what the sport should be. And then you look at Mick Conlon and there's half a shoulder roll, there's half of a James Tony, there's half of this, there's half of that. They're all little bits not executed very well. A little bit of James DeGale in there, a little bit of Cuban, but nothing that is complete. So all of those times that Mick Conlon was doing what he was doing and it was working, that was more just down to speed. It wasn't down to supreme positioning or anything like that. And that's why that's what I felt. No, no real tactical insight from Mr. Booth. Nothing like that. But on the upside, he was calm in the corner. He was calmer than Ben Davidson, right? And in another universe, Mick Conlon wins that fight. But when it got to round ten, and you can see that Mick was starting to flag, that's when you needed a bit more nuance. That's when you needed someone who understood what needed to be done in that moment. Someone who could have just changed the dynamic of the fight and said, look, you've got to find a way to slow this down because Lee Wood's coming on like a steam train. Find a way to slow it down. Step on his foot, make it uncomfortable for him and just, you know, some veteran moves. You guys know that I, I talk about the three things I think are important in a fight. Um, geometry, geography and psychology, right? And looking at the way Adam Booth prepared Conlon, he hadn't really thought about those three elements because one of the things I noticed, which I found strange, was Conlon doesn't really move his feet when he's in defensive mode. You know? So he won't try and change the angle. You know? So let, just let things bounce off his shoulder, let things come off a forearm, all those sorts of things that when you're really skilled, you can do. Right? So your opponent thinks that you're there, you're just, you're just like a centimeter or two out. Right? Or it hits the top of your shoulder, which you'd take over being hit on the chin. And he wasn't able to do that because he wasn't able to change the angle of his feet. You know, he, he was good at changing the height of his head and that was really good. But what he wasn't able to do, and just to go back to another name I mentioned in a previous episode, Chris Bird. Chris Bird could always find the right door exit as a southpaw. Mick Conlon couldn't do that often enough. Had he, had he done that, he would have outclassed Lee Wood and Lee Wood wouldn't have landed a fraction of the shots. And then that would have obviously changed the psychology of everything. But when you want to be there against the ropes directly in front of someone who's just going to slug away at you, and there's nothing wrong with that. Listen, slugging is an effective tool in boxing. Sometimes it's massively underrated in an internet, in a Twitter age, where people love to be super technical and be experts and stuff. I'm telling you now, in the second half of a fight, slugging it has a value. You know, it doesn't mean be reckless with your chin or be reckless with anything else. It just means that sometimes you've just got to let those hands go. And we didn't see enough, we didn't see enough of that from McConnell. And you've got to ask Adam Booth the questions. You know, he spent all week running around in his new, I don't know if he's sponsored by New Balance now, but he loved that little jumper, didn't he? And he was talking in that sense. He, he talks like a guy who's come out of prison, right? And in prison, he was a smart guy on the block because he was the only guy that was reading. And then you come out into the real world and you realize a lot of the stuff you're saying is just dumb. And Adam Booth's like that. Like he sounds clever to people like Coogan, Cassius and whoever does Boxing Social now. 
But if you know anything about putting words together, you're like, this is Adam Booth guy, man. Still selling snake oil at like 50-something years old. So the question people end up asking me is, what does tonight mean for both men? Um, I think Lee Wood's stock has gone up massively. You're now looking at Lee Wood going, wouldn't mind seeing him in there with Galahad. Wouldn't mind seeing him in there with, with Jordan Gill, in fact. You know, let, we, let's see if we can make that happen. Although they, they, were, they were housemates back in the day, weren't they, when they were at the Ingle Gym. So I don't know if that would happen. Um, so Warrington, Galahad, Lee, uh, Jordan Gill, the loads of guys you could get. I'd like to see him in there with Isaac Dogbo. But I don't think British promoters really want to touch Isaac, which is a shame. Or let's just do the right thing and have him fight Leo Santa Cruz. Or if Leo Santa Cruz vacates, let him fight for the Super Belt and then be a real world champion. Because like he hasn't done much wrong so far as the old Lee would. In terms of Mick... Man. That was like a world British championship fight. right? That's not a Gary Russell Jr., that's not a Tank Davis. You know, that's not a Shakur Stevenson. That's not a Navarretti. That's not an Isaac Dogba. Right, Mick Conan fought Lee Wood and came up short. Um, not, it's not even like, oh my God, he was eight rounds ahead and he got put down. It was like, mate, you, you let the fight get close and then you ran out of tank, you ran out of juice. In a, world British title fight so if you're Mick Conlon you now know your ceiling is this kind of company Lee Wood Warrington whatever this is your ceiling don't even think about those those guys like Navarretti and so forth who will actually just cut the ring down on you and chop you down limb by limb so what do you do when you've been the best in the world you know and you were of that generation of a Shakur Stevenson and uh, Robesley, Ramirez and all that what do you do? do you fight them? if he if he does come back and I'd understand if Mick didn't if he does come back you've got to match him so carefully because that knockout was scary and that might take a while to build him back from you know, whatever you do don't let anyone like a Paul Reddy or the other guy the Italian guy don't let them match make for Mick Conlon whatever you do please but Here's hoping that Mick makes the right choice for his own career. Uh, I would understand if he didn't box again. Because if you're not going to win the world championship as Mick Conlon, then what are you really doing it for? Unless you just love to fight. And in that case, I mean, you might be putting your health at risk. But, you know, Mick Conlon did everything that was asked of him. Came up short tonight. Uh, congratulations to Lee Wood onwards and upwards. And hopefully for Mick, he finds happiness and contentment because that kind of been you know a good evening for him i'm trying to think because i was at the rugby today so I've, I, I missed a fair bit of the card and i've sort of tried to catch up by grabbing videos and streams and stuff uh i did see thomas carty box actually so that's definitely a fight i can speak to i like thomas carty stocky solid southpaw probably a bit heavier than he needs to be right now but i like him probably a bit a bit one-dimensional in his performance and it was a bit of a strange stoppage but I understand why you know lad was never meant to win that so why let him take more punishment but I like him you know when you're a southpaw of his size and scale you know you're always in demand as a sparring partner but he needs to get out of that mode 
and just start wiping people out because he's definitely got the strength and the power. I there's a lot to like about him. I like his character outside the ring. I think he's you know we we've had false dawns before with uh, who was the other guy Sean someone Sean Turner I think it was Con Sheen. They've always tried to dig these Irish heavyweights up and they've never amounted to much. And here we have a real opportunity with Thomas Carty to build something. So hopefully they do the right thing by Thomas Carty because I quite like the guy. Um, there was a kid, um, Grant Smith's lad, who boxed early on on the undercard. Uh, is it Nico? Nico Levine? Oh, I can't remember. But he looked all right. Now, I remember him in the amateurs. He, he seemed reasonably talented as well. So you can see Matchmore trying to build stuff here. But that matchmaking is going to be key, as we found out with, with Sandy Ryan. And I want to start this by saying, Sandy Ryan is the real deal. Be absolutely clear about this. Sandy Ryan is a talent. Sandy Ryan can really box. Sandy Ryan has all the tools and all the attributes to take over. Here's the Sandy Ryan dilemma. What you see isn't what you're going to get. So we all, we've all seen her videos, we see her training, we hear Clifton Mitchell talk about how good she is, all of this stuff, right? And so we assume you can move her on quickly. No. Um, the lady she fought, is it Farias? Had like 20-something fights. And if you look at her run, look at the names on her list. It's like McCaskill, Breakers. She might even has Chantal Cameron on there. I don't know, but it's all of these top names. These are names we recognize. And she's taking them all the distance. We just talked about physicality and durability. You know, that ability to, to understand yourself over 10 championship rounds in the women's game. Those 10, what's she done? 250, 260 rounds? Yeah, think about that. And Sandy Ryan's done what? Maybe 12, 13 professional rounds? You don't build up resilience in 12 or 13 rounds. So Sandy's got all the talent in the world, but she hasn't got the, the mental reps to go from round two to three to four to five to six to seven. Know where she is. Know when she needs to accelerate. Know when she needs to chill. Know when she needs to please the judges. Know when she can be a bit more conservative. She hasn't had all of those decision points. And even though Farias has lost against the bigger names, she's been in those positions where she's like, you know, the next time I'm in this position, I know what I'm going to do better. So what you saw in that fight was just a difference in experience, not a difference in ability. Sandy Ryan, after 20-something fights, would have blown her away. And so we need to get back to being sensible about how we view women's boxing. You know, our working assumption is the standard's so poor that you can fight for a world title in three or four fights. Look, Ellie Scottney had a hard fight. Doesn't mean she's not talented. Ellie's talented. But she has to go through these decision-making processes. That's what experience is. You don't buy that. And GB doesn't necessarily give you that because they're training for different objectives. And that's what Sandy Ryan has learned. You know, I saw someone tweet something like, ah, oh, Chantal Cameron would wipe the floor with Sandy Ryan. Well, yeah, I'd expect so. Like, Chantal Cameron's been boxing since 2009. So, yeah, that is exactly what she's supposed to do. But that gap will close on a daily basis. And it won't be long until they can look each other in the eye and say, this is competitive. So I say to people, don't lose face in Sandy Ryan. Don't 
don't abandon her now because you know she she took the L. That was an L that she needed to understand and say, I have talent, but I don't have experience. And I only get experience when I do something that's validated one way or the other. Incorrectly or correctly, doesn't matter. Those decision points are key, and Farius had them in abundance. In abundance. But I like to see that. I like to see people come to that conclusion. And I don't feel it needed to be that way. This is another, I call this another poor ready disaster because he seems to have his, his hands in a lot of these disastrous matchmaking endeavors. Which I understand because, like I said, he's not a boxing person. I know there are people who say, oh my God, he's a nice guy. He was nice when we were in America, this, that, and the third. No, 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 no. He's not a boxing person. Because had he been, he would have said, I don't know if Sandy should take this fight. Can we find something easier for Sandy Ryan? Because she's still got to bed in a lot of things. She's still got to get used to being a pro, for God's sake. You know, and I'm saying this because I really want her to, to thrive. She looks like she's got that, that exciting style, you know, that combination punching style that I love. So I'm always going to bang the drum. But she needs experience. And the thing with experience is you, you want a matchmaker or a team around you at least that are clued up and can say, uh, let's not rush this young lady. That was good to see Terry Harper back as well. Um, looks so different physically now. Um, um, red flags, maybe. She she looks a lot different to how I remember her. And that's not supposed to happen when you go up in weight. Like, that's a, that's a worry. That's a red flag. Maybe guys are trying to get their money out of, the, out of her while they can. But, you know, she she's back on the horse. Not much to say about that. We need to see what happens when she fights the people that at the level she was fighting before, you know, can Alicia Baumgartner turn those lights out again? Well, I guess we'll find out when those two rematch. And who else was on that card? Thomas Whitaker Hart was on there. Strange career. So he won the ABAs in 2016. I think he won them at 81 kilos and there was a bright future expected of him. And then the Bellu curse hit him and he disappeared for a bit. My suspicion is another one who's, either physically or mentally fragile. And so they need time away every so often to, to heal and recover, which is not what you want in a professional because consistency is the currency of a professional. And if you can't be consistent, you won't go far. Um, who else was there? Keevan Agyako. On a side note, I don't believe Eddie Lamb needs those glasses. I genuinely think Eddie Lamb does it so he looks good on camera. Genuinely, I think he, I think that's just his thing now. He's hoping to get the, the glasses endorsement. I don't think he needs those things. Man. Like, look how often he's training people without glasses. So now nah, Eddie Lamb doesn't need the glasses, man. He knows that. He's just grifting. But if we're going to nominate Boxing's Man of the Year, like it is every year, it's Eddie Lamb. The guy shows up with no sign of jet lag or anything. Remember, he was on the west coast of the U.S., this time last week, with Sky Nicholson, who's his new charge and protege. And now he's back grafting again. So when I say boxing's man of the year, this is a guy who's everywhere because he loves the sport. He loves the game, but he never pipes up. Like, you never know Eddie Lamb for anything negative. It's always positive with Ed. So I'm, I'm always happy when I see him on that televised spot because, you know, he deserves it. Adam Martin deserves it. These are people that, I look to his elders, so I'm happy that they're out there doing their thing, and they're not just talking about it, they're delivering. So kudos to them. 
Um, Kevin Agyako, massive work in progress. There's a there's an elite level fighter in there somewhere. There's no question about that. But there's so much you've got to chop away at when it comes to him. And you've got to simplify his game plan. The way he'll be successful may not be the way that he wants to box right now. That's that's going to be that sort of catch-22 with his own identity that he's going to have to wrestle with. You know, what do you really want? Do you want to be successful or do you want to be you? Because, like, he fought the, the kid Rubio, the Mexican kid, and he could have made his night a lot easier by just lack of decision points, right? Never boxed a southpaw before in a professional ring, and you could see that. So he's got to learn from that. And he's just got to learn to pare down his style and start off with the basics. Get your jab perfect. Get your backhand perfect. Get your lead hook perfect. Now, when you've got your timing and your range, now start to put that stuff together. Then start to really add that pressure to the fight. You know, is, sometimes boxing is not hard. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the 10% guys earn their money by keeping it really, really simple. But if you said to me, who does he fight next? Uh, will you put him in with Denzel? Nah. Nah, not yet. You, As Froch said, you wouldn't put him in with Felix Cash. Um, put him in with a Brad Pauls. If Brad can make 160, that'd be a good fight. Why not? Why can't we get a fight like that? It'd be entertaining enough. Um, but yeah, so for me, a long way to go with that guy. But in there is a hell of a fighter. And it's going to be on Eddie and Al Smith to to tease that out of him but i i'm still high on him for now we need to see him in a benchmark fight so we can assess how good he really is now who that is i'll leave that to wiser men than me i just want to close off by by talking about dan aziz and mainly congratulating dan aziz on being assigned to sky and boxer now there are all sorts of reasons why I'm happy. I'm happy on a personal level because Dan's a friend. Dan's one of the people in boxing I have so much respect for. And this this predates him turning over as a professional. Like, even in the amateurs, Dan was a gentleman. He was a good man, good energy, always positive. There's so much to like about Dan Aziz that when something like this happens, you can't help but be happy for him. It means that He's now got a platform, finally. You know, Dan, remember, Dan's the guy that did it the hard way. Like, he was fighting on shows in Brentwood. He was on YouTube. He was this, he was that. But you've always seen him involved in the sport. You see Dan at amateur shows. You see Dan at small hall shows. Dan does commentary for shows. Like, he's... When Eddie Lamb steps down from being Boxing's Man of the Year, Dan Aziz will then take the mantle of being Boxing's Man of the Year every year. Because he gives so much back to the sport. And in all the conversations I've had with people at Sky about Dan Aziz, they're the things I talk about. Because I always say, look, you can see his ability. Like, you can see what he does in the ring. But it's what he does outside of the ring. Because when, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm talking to promoters, you know, you're not just talking about in-ring ability. You're talking about multi-dimensionality. I think someone actually did use that word. It's... If we put a camera in front of Dan, will the public be intrigued by him? I'm like, yeah. Could you take Dan Aziz to a school and get them excited about boxing? 1,000%. Dan is a guy that you can have as a figurehead. He's not going to drop the ball on that. He's intelligent enough to know what he needs to do. He'll execute against that and all of these things. That's why he'd be a sponsor's dream. 
because there's nothing outside the ring that's going to catch up with him. He's, he's solid. He's solid. And the fact that it's taken this long for him to be televised, despite other people getting opportunities, is an injustice. But the important thing is we finally got there. And I don't think it was just one person. I think a lot of people were banging the Dan and Z's drums and saying, why isn't this kid signed? And, you know, Ben Shalom, Johnny Wish, Adam Smith, all of them felt the pressure. If you're serious about British boxing, you sign Dan Aziz. You can't give me the excuse now that he doesn't have a belt, because he does. So when I saw him on Sky Sports and I was happy for him, and I was like, just wait, wait till he's had a year of this when he gets onto Soccer AM. I don't know if Dan Aziz can kick a football, though. He doesn't, he doesn't look the most balanced, so I wouldn't be confident about him taking a free kick or a penalty. But I am so, so happy for the guy. Because what he says to guys is, if you do your time in the amateurs and you do your time in the small hall, make a few mistakes, learn a few lessons, you can be televised too. You know, don't doubt your talent. And there'll be a time when Dan speaks about his career and he'll tell you that there were dark times when he was like, why are they doing this to me? You know, why am I not on TV? Are these guys really that much better than me? And you just say to me, keep stopping people. Yeah, you're making it hard for the world to ignore you. And here he is now, on the platform he deserves, about to become the legend that we all love. Because I'm still grateful that guy came to our second live show. Because Dan didn't have to. I don't even think he had a ticket. I think he was one of like the 25, 30 people that showed up with no tickets. So we were massively over capacity. You know. But yeah, he, he was there and I'm just happy. I'm happy for where he's at right now. I'm proud of him. He can he can now think about boxing. As a career, he can also think about how he uses this platform to set himself up for a life after boxing. And, you know, Dan always knows with me, man, I'm only ever just a phone call away. So, you know what I mean? I won't be letting him do this journey on his own. That's for damn sure. But I am happy for him. Like, that's, that's when the sport makes sense to me. When the good guys get through. And he's by no means the last one or anything like that. He's... He's one of one of a few who deserve those sorts of opportunities. And another kid will be making his debut on the 26th, Jamie Shakiva. They call him TKV. And he's of a similar stock. Just a good man. Like, gives so much to the sport. Is positive, is friendly. But listen, <laughs> I mean, he'll put you on your backside if you if you step out of line. So, I mean, that, that March 26th will be quite an emotional day. But I'm proud of both of those guys. And, you know, onwards and upwards. Oh, and, and I can sign off, man. I think, I think you guys have two two bits of quality material now that you can, I mean, on the walk out and on the walk back. I mean, thank me later. Yeah, take care, guys. Bye. Okay, I've been feeling them new songs, it's been too long Got proper vision, I'm getting my Tony Cruz on Don't give a fuck what you're lifting, I still be too strong Every rapper stated the best, so tell me who's wrong Cause I ain't playing bro, I mean it when I say that I come from the city, you're king, a double and laid black Find someone better, that's some needle in a haystack I got legendary status, I've been doing it from way back To be honest, they should be paying homage, they all owe me If money's involved, I'm on it, you already know me That's why I'm on the road, while my girl saying she's lonely I don't spend enough time, so I went and bought her a rollie Been watching the game, will I See is these phonies talking like they got beef, they just talking baloney from SP. Watch how you address me, things will get messy. Shots will have you diving like a rolling. Couldn't try out the game without this. No tweets, no talk, no announcements.